knows that our God is good? Come on. Who knows our God is good? Come on. We serve a God who is worthy to place our faith in. Oh, I forgot my hanky. Never mind. Um, now, now it's, it's such, a, such a privilege to be back here, back here this morning, as you would have heard. Uh, I've been away for the last couple of weeks. I actually had the great opportunity to, to go away on a, a kind of a, a leadership development trip where 14 other pastors from around Australia, where we went around to, to LA and Phoenix and visited a whole bunch of churches. And, uh, and for me, it was an experience that just lifted up my eyes. You know, when you have those moments with God, it might be an experience, it might be a, a relationship, whatever it might be, that draws you closer to God and you start to see your life in a new way. I had one of those experiences. And you know, my prayer is that, that as we continue to journey as part of a church together at True North, that each week we'd have those shared experiences together where we can say, God, I see a picture of who you are and I want it to radically change my life. You know what? I want to I show you a photo real quick. This is the, the team of pastors I went away with. They're, they're an attractive bunch, aren't they? Pa- pastors typically are. Now, uh, yeah, no, no, sorry, sorry, it's uh, irreverent. Uh, but so, so, see this guy in the far, the far left, kind of next to me, I'm in the white, there's that other, that other dude there. So, so this guy, he's just casually leading a church of 28,000 in Phoenix. Awesome guy, incredible ministry, and we were blessed, uh, blessed to be a part of that trip. But, but can I say, it was an incredible experience for me coming home, visiting all these churches. You, you can get rid of that. It's going to be distracting. They're going to be looking at all those pastors thinking, woo. And, uh, but, but, but it was an incredible opportunity going away and seeing churches do ministry incredibly well. But can I say, I got back here last Sunday. I was like crazy jet lagged. We came in for a service. Our son happened to wake up at a good time. I'm like, well, we're all awake anyway. Let's go to church. And, and I came and I was blown away by the experience walking into this place. Obviously, we've got uh, some new systems in place where we've got people everywhere wearing awesome shirts. And, and that's part of it. But you know what I walked into an experience. I I believe that I walked into a church that's had a shift in heart towards valuing others and valuing people coming into this place. So can I just say thank you for that? Can can we give each other a round of applause? Like, that was amazing. So if you've you've been a part in our welcome teams, our service teams, serving in any way on a Sunday morning, can I say thank you? Because it makes such a difference. And what a blessing to, to, to come to our church last week and experience that for myself. You know, we're, as, uh, as Ryan shared a little bit earlier, we're, we're launching a new series called We Care, and we're going to be having some fun with that over the next few weeks. But, but just before we do it, I, w- I want to have a bit more fun myself, and I'm going to show you one more photo, because on, on one of the nights off, we, uh, we got the chance to go to the Staples Center. Anyone familiar with the Staples Center? Now, this is the, the home court of the Los Angeles Lakers in LA. As you can see, we're all pretty psyched to be there. Um, that, that crazy looking dude on the, on the far right, your left, is uh, Pastor Steve Fitzalan from Tasmania, leading an awesome church and a really, really great guy as well. But anyway, we, we, we went away and said, yeah, we're going to watch NBA tonight. And it's funny, you can take that off again, again, distracting pastors, so attractive. But, but we, we went away and it was funny, amongst the group, I was kind of the driving force, let's face it, to say, but we've got a night off, we're in LA, there's a home game, we are going to this game. And they're like, well, basketball, no, no we are going to this game, and people caught that vision to varying degrees. And, and something that, that kind of illustrated for me is with something like a sporting event, you have two groups of people. You have those that care, and you have those that couldn't care less. <laughs> and tragically, they're both living under the same roof more often than not. 
Now, you know the ones that care because they know all about the sport. They know all about the rules. They know all about the players. They know the win-loss record. They, they know everything about their team. They know when the game's going to be played. They know when it's all going to go down. And then those that don't care, don't know anything about the sport, don't know anything about the players, don't know anything about when it's happening, and just can't wait for the day when the news starts telling us all about it. And it's not on the front page of the newspaper anymore because you just couldn't care less. Now, here's what this, this illustrates as a picture for all of us, that we all care differently about different things. To one person, something has incredible value and it's incredibly significant. To another person, it has no value and it's not significant in any way. So it doesn't occupy any place in their mind or in their lives. So the question is, what are the things that we should care about? As a church together, what are the things that we should care about? In our own walks of faith, what should we care about? You know, I want to give a foundation for this We Care series. And I want to sum it up in one phrase about, about what we should care about, about how we were created to care. And it's simply this. If you're a note-taking person, you're going to love this, I hope. We're created to value Christ, and we're called to value His cause. This is what we care about, that we recognize that our God actually created us with purpose, and that purpose was to be connected to Him, to actually value our Creator. We were connected with that in us we were cre- you know we were created with lungs to draw breath with with ears to perceive sound with with eyes to perceive light with hands to act and we were created with a soul within us to connect with our creator that's how we were created but then Christ he calls us to be a part of his cause he calls us to value it he calls us to care about it in a real and passionate way. So discovering how Christ cares for others is a really great place to start. And we're going to look at a, a great passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 9 this morning. And we've got a Bible today. You've got a Bible on an e-device or in the uh, old print. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to read together. Uh, and in fact, in fact, before that, I, I love the starting of this, this story in Matthew chapter 9. Because what's actually happening is Jesus, he's in the zone. He's teaching his disciples. You could imagine that, that they're kind of sitting around him in a circle. And, and not only are his disciples there, but also the disciples of John, all sitting around listening to the words of Jesus. And he's in the zone. He's giving some dynamite teaching on fasting and the purpose of fasting. He's talking about old wine skins and new wine skins and if you don't get it right it busts out you know that part and and he's just engaged with these guys and they're listening to him intently then all of a sudden this guy busts through the circle busts into the middle of everything that's going on and he kneels down at the feet of Jesus Now, let's put ourselves in that position for a moment. Imagine you're sitting around the circle with the disciples, and you're just listening to Jesus. It's changing your life. It's building your understanding. Then all of a sudden, this dude comes in, busts all that up, kneels down at his feet. You're like, come on. Jesus is in the zone right now. Couldn't you have just sat quietly for another 20 minutes and wait till he wraps this whole thing up? Or maybe you're in the position of Jesus, and this guy comes in, you're like, oh, no. I'm like killing it right now. 
this is like some of the best teaching of my ministry. And, and this guy right here, he's messing it up. Jesus is interrupted. Let's talk about interruptions for a minute. Because we all love to be interrupted, don't we? Don't we? No. A- anyone like interruptions? If you, if you do, we need to hang out more, because I need to catch some of that. Maybe you like being interrupted if you're doing something you don't like. But, but, but we, we don't like to be interrupted. Maybe they're, they're, you're working on something, you're getting stuck into a project. You know when you have those moments that you're, you're working on something, and you know, hours and hours go by like nothing, because you're just powering through it, you're getting stuff done, and you're working in that zone, and then all of a sudden, someone busts in and breaks that up. How do you feel? Terrible. Now, and how do you respond? Well, depending on your degree of lovingness, maybe you're ropeable and maybe you might say, excuse me, can I have five minutes? Or maybe like, get stuff, mate. I'm in the zone. That's, that's what Pastor John was, no, he wouldn't. He's very caring. He's got a mercy gifting. <laughs> um, but, but you're in that place. And, and, and what do we do? We don't like it. And here's why interruption is such a problem for us as people. Because an interruption is actually a forced shift of focus away from self. It's a forced shift of my focus on myself, and I hate that because I am inherently self-focused. So how does Jesus handle that in this moment? Let's take a look, and we're going to read from Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 18. It'll be up on the screens as well if you want to follow along. So while he was saying this, remember, he's in the middle of this teaching, a synagogue leader named Jairus, we learn in the the other gospel writers, came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. My daughter has died and has this for a statement of faith. But come, put your hand on her and she will live. This is the interruption Jesus deals with. Jesus gets up and went with him straight away, and his disciples followed as well. So Jesus is met with this need, he's met with this interruption, and his response is to get up and go. His response is to get up and go. And and here's what I think is happening. Jesus cares about this man. Jesus cares about his daughter and he recognizes that he can actually make a difference. Now, in that situation, not many of us could make a difference. In that specific situation. But Jesus says, I see the need. I care about the need. I recognize I can do something about the need. Here we go. We need to learn how to do that. We need to see the things that we can actually address. There's a lot of things we can't. We're not Jesus. There's a lot of need in our world that we can't necessarily address. But there is a huge amount of need that we can. And it's about recognizing what we can do. So Jesus was willing to be interrupted. But will you be interrupted by the cause of Christ in your life? Remember, we're created to value Jesus. We're called to value his cause. If we're actually going to live that out, we need a willingness to be interrupted. Let's think about it a different way. I want you to imagine that you're, you're holding your life in your hands, 
holding your life in your hands and think about everything in your life, all your family, all your relationships, all your decisions, your career, your study, whatever it might be, your future, your retirement, you're holding it all in front of you in your hands. Symbolically, this is my life right here. I like my life. I like everything that I see there. It's really important to me. It's valuable to me. Now, here's how I think Jesus was able to hold his life. It was something like this. And he held that life out. And whenever there was a need, he held it with open palms and was willing to give out of what he called his own, his life, his experience of life, expressed ultimately in what he gave on the cross for each one of us. That he paid the price for each one of us so that we could be repaired in relationship with God. He gave out of an openness of who he was. Now let's contrast that a little bit with how I hold my life. And the picture of how I hold my life is probably a little bit more like this. Don't touch my life. My life's really valuable to me. I've got an incredible family. I've got an incredible career. Everything about my life is so valuable. I'm not prepared to lay any of it down. It's my life. It's valuable. It's precious. Sorry, that was a joke. Yeah, that was Gollum. I'm actually not allowed to do that at home anymore. I apparently overplayed that card when Lord of the Rings was first coming out. Just as it's something about being hunched over. It's about, you know, Lord of the Rings fans know what I'm talking about. Everyone else is like, that was a powerful moment. You completely ruined Phil. Um, but, but I hold on to it. And here's the thing. If I believe that Jesus created me, and I do with all my heart. If I believe that Jesus created me to be in relationship with Him, and I believe that with all my heart. If I believe that that same God, that same Jesus, has called me to take hold of His cause to see people blessed, I need to change the way I hold my life. I need to move from, from this place of protecting it from God. Say, okay, God. Let's start to have a conversation. Let's start to have a conversation. God, I recognize your value in my life. I want to live more and more for who you are and less of who I am. And as I start to make those prayers, all of a sudden my life starts to open up. And I say, Jesus, I want to be someone who has a life that matters. Jesus, I want to see need, and in your grace in my life, I want to meet that need. God, I want you to bring people to my life that I could lead to you, that I could bless, that I could show your grace. Jesus, I want to make a difference in my workplace, in my community. And as we continue to make those prayers, all of a sudden, that life we once held like this becomes open to what God is doing, about what God's cause is in our lives. Will we be interrupted by the cause of Christ? Will we care about the cause of Christ in our life? So in verse 20, we see Jesus following Jairus back to his home to go and do something about his daughter that's died. And on the way, who would have thought? Another interruption. And here's what happens in verse 20. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. You can imagine her hoping that, that he wouldn't notice, that, that no one would notice. But she reached out and she touched the cloak and she said to herself and she believed in faith, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. 
Again, incredible faith. And then right then, Jesus, he stops, he turns, and he saw her. I love what's implied by that statement, that Jesus saw this beautiful woman, that Jesus saw her condition, that he saw the issue that she carried, and he said, take heart, daughter, a term of reverence, respect, honour, and empowerment into her situation. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Now, I love this story, and for one important reason right here in the text, is that we see two needs, two interruptions, and the same Saviour that's willing to be interrupted by both of those needs. And how does He respond to each of them? In exactly the same way. He says, right, here's a need, I recognise I can do something about it, let's get it done. Now, what's interesting is that the first guy is Jairus, a synagogue leader, kind of a big deal in the first century Jewish context. The people would have known who he was, the disciples would have known who he was as he busted into the room and knelt down in front of Jesus. He said, hey, that's Jairus, that's the synagogue leader, he's kind of a big deal. So probably they weren't that worried about the interruption. Oh, this is an important person. He's got it all going on. People know, people know his name. There was honor for Jairus. And so in some ways, it's not surprising that Jesus would drop everything to meet a need for a person like that. But here's what is so powerful and so true about our Savior, that on the complete opposite end of the social scale, we see a woman completely marginalized. In the, in the framework for Jewish people at that time, they, they had something called, that, that was ceremonially unclean or, or symbolically unclean. And because of this woman's issue, she was in a constant state of symbolic uncleanliness. And what that would mean is that people would actively avoid her. She was marginalized. She was forgotten. She was avoided. She had no value in that context. And we see these two pictures one of prominence, a person of prominence that in the eyes of the world should be honoured and lifted up, and one that was marginalised and forgotten. And Jesus says instantly, both of those people matter. Both of their needs matter. I recognise what I can do, and I will do something about it. Let's quickly talk about the selection criteria for care. The selection criteria for care. We know in Jesus that there is no criteria. He loves all people equally, values all people equally. For me, if I'm honest, I probably can't make that same statement. Now, let's think about some of the filters that become our criteria for the things that we care about, for the people that we care about. The first one is this, connection. Connection. And this is perhaps a more obvious one, that the people that we are most connected to, we're naturally going to care more about them, aren't we? That if they're wrestling with something, if they're battling with something, we're going to care more about them and we're going to be more willing to do something about their situation. You know, a great example for me is, say, for my wife and I, the, the person that we're most connected to in this world together is our little son, Caleb. Now, God bless him, he sometimes wakes us up at times that we wouldn't naturally choose. And, uh, and in those moments, 
We're prepared to do something about that. We're prepared to care about that distress because there is a high degree of connection to him. We're prepared for him to wake us up every single night in the middle of the night and deal with that and love him with all our hearts. Now, by contrast, say Pastor John wakes me up every night (laughs) for whatever reason. Maybe just wants to talk about life or maybe you're having a sad night and just need to cry it out with someone. Now, now I love John, I love John, but there isn't that same connection to John as there is with my son, and perhaps I'm not going to be as willing to meet his midnight needs as I am for my son's, because there's a difference in connection. Then what about the, 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 the whole world around me that I do not know at all, that I have no connection with, a world that's in need that I have no connection with? For me to care about that, it's even more difficult again. So I think that's one of the filters we share, connection. And then the question is, how do we broaden that connection? Re- really quickly, John, John Maxwell, an awesome author and a great influence in my life, he talks about a 10-foot rule. And whenever someone comes within 10 feet of him, he will make a meaningful connection. Just short, it could be a stranger walking past someone in the street, lining up in the supermarket, wherever it might be. If there's someone that comes within 10 feet, he'll say, hi, how you going? I'm Phil. He'd say, John, of course. And, and he'd say, this is my thing, that if someone comes into that space in my life, I'm going to make sure that through a simple phrase, they know that I value them. They know that I care about them. I wonder what would happen this week if every one of us went out into our lives with that goal. And you start looking at the world a little bit differently. All of a sudden, you start having random conversations with all kinds of people. And God's heart speaks through that. You know, one of the, the other filters that I believe I have, that I believe that we all have, is that we're more likely to care about those where there's some kind of a reward involved. Now, this is a, a hard pill for me to swallow, if I'm, I'm honest. But for most of us, this is a reality where we're consciously aware of it or not, that we're more likely to meet needs where at the same time it meets some other need for us. You know, a classic example of this, if you imagine a, a young guy, let's say John again, he's a, he's a, <laughs> he's a good bloke. So let's say John, John's, John's engaged, he's getting married later this month, how good's that? That's great. So let's say in the, the early days uh, of dating the beautiful Tegan, she, she kind of had a need and maybe, let's say she needed to paint her, paint her house. And, and John at this point, he was kind of, you know, he had those feelings for Tegan, but there was nothing kind of formalized and he was kind of working the angles, how do I set this up? And he hears about that, that she's invited some people to, you know, need some help painting the house. And he's like, you beauty, we'll get in there. Tegan, let me help you. I'll pick up the paint. I'll get the rollers. I'll get all the stuff you need, the special edger thing with the wheels. I'll sort it all out. <laughs> I'll get it all done. Now, Tegan might think, wow, John's a really good guy. He's so caring to everyone. But really, (laughs) really, there's an agenda there. Now, guys, we should all be laughing because we've all done this at one point or another, haven't we? In fact, actually, I once painted my apartment and tashed my wife. Okay, this is before we were, I don't think we were even dating. She's not in the room. Oh, she is. Yep, she came over and helped me paint. That communicated a lot. That was great. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) when there's something to take back from meeting a need, we're more likely to do it again. But if there's no reward in any way, not even a selfish sense of, oh, I feel like a good person for doing that, that they know that I helped them, 
That's another one of our filters. And here's the, the final one, is, is commonality, or how much we're able to relate to a person's need. You know, I think about this all the time, that if I fast forward my, sorry, rewind my life uh, 12 months or, or a couple of years ago, and, and I see maybe a, a young mum by herself struggling in the supermarket with a screaming little child. My attitude back then might have been either, okay, I need to go into another aisle as soon as possible <laughs> as that situation works itself out. Or it could have been even darker. I could have said in my mind, why can't you just make your child be quiet? You know, now as a parent, I feel so guilty about ever thinking that. <laughs> Anyone else had that experience? Come on, dads, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. There's hands going up. Oh, Phil, come on. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Now I can relate to that situation. I can actually feel what they're going through. I know in my heart how difficult that is. And I want to do something about it. Obviously, appropriately in that scenario. But, but, but I want to meet a need that I can relate to. But here's the thing, if we only meet needs we relate to, well, I believe we're going to miss out on a huge part of what God is calling us to be as His church. To broaden our eyes, to not only think about the needs that are common to us, that are relatable to us, that are the the kinds of people that are similar to us in our experience of life, but say, Jesus, what are you lifting up my eyes to see for your cause in my life? So Jesus continues on his way to the house of Jairus. And in verse 23, we'll pick up the final part of the scripture. When Jesus entered the synagogue, the synagogue's leader's house, and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, and this was part of their tradition of grieving when someone passed away, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. Jesus basically comes into something like a funeral. And says, go away. She's not dead, she's asleep. But they laughed at him. They scoffed at him. Said, Jesus, she's dead. There's no hope that you can bring into this situation. There's nothing that you have to offer. There's nothing that you can do. I don't care how much you care. There's nothing you can do. It's hopeless. Just go away, Jesus. But Jairus, still believing, he clears, he clears out the house. And after the crowd had been put outside, Jesus went in. He took the girl by the hand, and she got up. She got up. And news of this spread everywhere, as you imagine it might. She got up. So Jesus goes into a situation where there was a crowd that believed there was nothing he could do. Jesus goes into a situation where there's a crowd that said, Jesus, you have nothing to offer here. We don't care about you. We don't care about what you can bring. It's too late. It's done. It's over. You know, as a church and people of faith, we live in a world, the crowd all around us, that says faith has no value. We live in a culture, particularly here in Australia, that says Who cares about the church? What does it have to offer? Who cares about Christ? What does he have to offer? They laugh at the idea. But Jesus walks into a situation knowing that he does have something to offer. New life, 
restored life, renewed hope. And he walks into that situation anyway and says, I know who I am. I know what I have to bring and I will never stop caring. And restores life to this poor little girl. Now a very joyful little girl, I'm sure. So what about us as the church? How do we move from a place where we can bring hope and life to a world that believes we have nothing to offer? You know, I honestly believe, I don't mean to paint a dark picture there, because I really do believe that we, as people of faith, passionate about Christ, we can make a difference. We can make a difference. And you know, the number one way we change the perception that Christ has no value, we start caring about people. We start caring about people passionately. We start caring about the cause of Christ in our lives with passion. Can we go back to that picture at the start of a sporting event? You know, the people that they care about, the people that care about that particular sport, that particular game, you can spot them a mile away. They're trying to talk to everyone about it. If you don't like it, it's kind of annoying. But they're talking about it. It's booming out of them. They're wearing the colors. It's coming out of their life in every way. This has value to me. When the church gets a hold of Jesus like that and says, Jesus has value to me and his cause has value to me, that's when the crowd starts to see the life that we hold. And that's when the crowd stops laughing and starts telling everyone about the hope that lives in each of our hearts. That's the Jesus we're called to serve. That's the purpose, the adventure that we can live together in the cause of Christ. But will we allow ourselves to be interrupted and say, God, I want to hold my life a little bit more openly and I want to see your cause in my life bless people. In just a few moments, I'm going to welcome Pastor Michelle up, and she's, she's going to talk us through a way that as a church, we're going to do this in a real tangible way heading into Christmas, to care about people, owning the cause of Christ in our life, and I'm excited about that. But, but just before that, I, I want to pray. I want to pray this heart over our church, maybe over some people here today. And just in this moment, I'd invite you just to, to close your eyes. And if you're, a, if you're a praying person, if you recognize already that God's a part of your life, I just invite you in the quietness of this moment, just to begin to pray for the people sitting around you. Begin to pray for the group of people gathered here together. So I'm believing in this moment that, that God is going to change some hearts and restore and renew passion for His cause. Jesus, we recognize that we were created by You, designed to know You and walk life together with You. And Jesus, we recognize as, as well that You have called us to value, to care about your cause in our world. And God, I pray that that even now in this moment, you'd set a fire in someone's heart. You'd set a fire in someone's bones to take hold of you in a new way. 
Jesus be here with us in this moment. If you're here this morning and you feel that sense of it's time to care about Christ in a new way, it's time to care about His cause in my life, I just want to invite you to stand to your feet right now in this moment. Don't hesitate. If that heart is there, if you feel that sense of passion, if you know that it's time to take hold of it, to take hold of Christ, just stand to your feet and I want to include you in a prayer. If you feel Jesus speaking to you, if you feel that, that tension in your heart, don't miss this opportunity. Say yes to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you stand right here with us in this moment. Lord, I pray that your cause would be renewed in each one of these people that have stood today. Lord, I pray that there would be fresh passion in their heart for their Savior. Jesus, that there would be fresh excitement and renewed joy to carry the gospel in their lives. Lord God, I pray that there'd be a new strength, a new courage, a new boldness to hold their lives open for the cause of Christ. Jesus, I pray against anything that would limit them or hold them back, and that those chains would be broken in the name of Jesus. Lord God, I want to thank you that the next 12 months of their lives are going to be different. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that your gospel, your word is going to be in them in a new way from this moment. Holy Spirit, I pray that, that you would do something in their hearts my words never could and you would restore that beating heart of faith. Holy Spirit, that they would know they're created by you, that they'd know they're called to purpose, that their lives matter and they will make a difference. Holy God, I thank you for their courage in this moment. And Lord, I pray that that same heart to care about you, Jesus, to care about your cause in our world would just be on our whole church. Praise you, God. You guys can take a seat. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Mm.